Fantastic. Okay, so those of you that weren't here last week, I only have a few left. I'm going to leave them out. How to read Proverbs like an ant. It's absolutely crucial for you to know how to read Proverbs like an ant. So this is a document that would be very helpful. If you would like it, I'm going to leave it again up here um, for after the service. You can grab it, anybody that needs it. Okay, so we are in Proverbs. Uh, those that are coming back from semester, and I just need to fill you in on the quick, quick controversy, and then we're off of it. We just, we had someone withdraw their vote, and it broke our three-way tie. Uh, we were going to do Proverbs, Isaiah, and the life of David, but the withdrawal of the vote um, broke up the tie, and it threw the sermon process in the spring into total chaos. And so what we are doing is that we've decided... Uh, I've decided that we're going to do this not, we're going to do all three books. We're not going to cast them aside. We're not going to let one vote wreck the whole thing. Um, We are going to uh, do Proverbs, Isaiah, and the life of David. But instead of doing them so creatively and so incredibly and something that would just demonstrate the incredible eruditeness of the preacher, by blending them all together, we're just going to do them consecutively. So we're going to do four to six sermons in Proverbs, four to six sermons in Isaiah, then four to six sermons in the life of David. So we're going to cover them. So you're caught up. We are now in Proverbs. And so we're, we're about, I'm already kind of getting exhausted. I've done two sermons in Proverbs. I'm already getting exhausted in Proverbs. So maybe let's see how long this, this stretch of Proverbs lasts. All right, let's begin. Did you know that according to the experts, according to the research, according to the stats, according to the studies, that we are, you are, did you know this, the most anxious generation in American history? Did you know that? That your anxiety levels are higher, double, triple previous generations. Like, your anxiety levels are higher, double, tripled than those that lived through the Great Depression and World War II. And it's even scarier, don't miss this, the anxiety levels routinely experienced by today's children and routinely treated in today's children, those anxiety levels in previous generations were only found in institutionalized adults. So the question is why, right? I mean, why, why, why is this happening? Is it bad behavior? I mean, are today's children just worse? Are they doing bad things, worse things than previous generations? Is it bad bodies, right? Chemical imbalances, brain and body disorders and dysfunctions and impulses and syndromes? Uh, Is it just a bad world? It's bad things that come at today's kids. Is that what's going on? Why are today's children so anxious? Proverbs says, I know why. So one of the top five biggest radio personalities out there today, I heard it this week, said, my children are lost. And we, he names his wife, feel like such losers. He also goes on to say, It's a waste of decades of hard work. 
Now, what he means by hard work, he means parenting work. He means the kind of parenting work that Proverbs 22, 6 talks about that goes like this. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So I thought, you know, maybe we should look at that proverb. Do you think we should look at that proverb maybe sometime in this series? Because every time I hear statements like that, I start thinking of Princess Bride and Vizzini. Remember Vizzini, the Sicilian genius? And he kept using that word inconceivable five times he used it. And remember Montoya? Hello, my name is Ignoyo Montoya, right? And remember, he's the one that's looking for the six-fingered man that killed his dad, remember? And he keeps saying when he hears inconceivable come out of Vizzini's mouth, he goes, <laughs> he goes, you keep using that word, I don't think it means what you think it means, right? We keep using that text. Christians keep using that text. The church keeps using that text. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he gets old, he'll never depart from it. I don't think you mean. I don't think it means what you think it means. So why are children so lost? Why are his children so lost? Is it bad behavior? You know, his children are just doing bad things. Is it bad bodies, chemically imbalanced? Syndromes, impulses, disorders, dysfunctions in the brain? Is it a bad culture, right? You know, social media is wrecking his kids. Technology, all the inactivity that technology brings, the isolation that technology brings, that's wrecking his kids. I mean, is it all the ideological propaganda that goes from preschool to grad school? Is that what's wrecking his kids? Uh, is it the gender and sexual confusion today? Is it the cultural sexual grooming that goes across universally, saturates our culture at every level? Is it processed food? Is it AIs, the alternative world of AI? Is that what's wrecking these kids? And then how about this? What about the, the, the radio guy and his wife? Why do they feel so defeated? Why do they feel like such losers. What's going on with them? Bad behavior? Are they bad parents? Do bad parenting? Bad bodies? Bad brains? Chemical imbalances? Bad culture? It's just too tough to parent in today's world. Why, why, why? Proverbs says, I know why. I know why. And I'm going to tell you. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. We are going to do uh, a string of texts. So the thing about Proverbs is this, is that everybody tries to figure out how to organize it, and everybody's wrong. So why, why shouldn't I join the race? So I have organized uh, according to a topic. So went through Isaiah, I mean, through Proverbs, picked some topics on what we're looking at. I, uh, Proverbs seems to know why we do what we do. Proverbs seems to know why things are the way with you, why you're so full of shame, why you struggle with isolation, why you deal with that sin, why you struggle with the culture and struggle with your body and struggle with yourself. I, I keep wanting to say Isaiah. Proverbs. Proverbs seems to know the answer. So here's some of the things that it says. Uh, we're going to just kind of move through them. Uh, 1225, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. 
Then the next one, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear that? A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. If you faint in the day of adversity, guess what? Your strength is small. A man without self-control, what's he like? Proverbs, he's like a broken city, a city broken into and left without walls. Proverbs 29, so who can say I've made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And then the last one, like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, because we need your spirit to actually read your word rightly. We need your spirit to actually illuminate, enlighten Give clarity to our minds and make it real to our hearts. So Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you work? Would you move? And then Jesus, would you show up and produce change on the spot? We're not looking for something in this text to apply later this afternoon or later this week. And then we finally change. What we need, Jesus, is you to show up and it happens right now. We pray this in your name. Amen. Why, why, why? Proverbs says, I know why. So in 2020, a swarm of locusts ravaged Kenya. Did you hear about this? A single swarm. Did you know that a swarm of locusts? So we're talking swarms devastated Kenya. Now we're going to just look at that swarms and look at swarm and Isolate one swarm. One swarm contains 40 million locusts. One swarm. 40 million locusts. That's 80 tons of food devoured in one day. That's 80 tons of human food via farmers consumed, destroyed, devoured in one day. That's food to feed 35,000 people in one day one swarm, but there were swarms, plural. 40 million times what? The Kenyan farmers lost not only that year's harvest, it was so devastating, it destroyed the seed for the following year's harvest. One government official said, listen, the damage isn't limited to the loss of food for people and their livestock, but it has a devastating impact on the entire ecosystem. In other words, everything green is consumed. Everything living is consumed. Nothing is left but a wasteland. Proverbs says your heart is your inner ecosystem. So let's look at Proverbs 12, 25. That's the first text we looked at. See that anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down? Anxiety where? In a man's heart. Where does anxiety dwell? Where does anxiety live? In a man's heart. So where does anxiety take root? Where does it do its damage? Where does it weigh us down? In a man's heart. So, If anxiety, let's say, is an unwanted weed, 
a weed like growing in your grass, not the other kind, an unwanted weed. So let's say anxiety is an unwanted weed that's growing up. You see it, and let's say like mine, they usually get about this tall until I start doing something about them, right? Now, you could plug in and play anything you want to plug in and play. You can plug in and play not just anxiety but depression, you can plug and play all kinds of mental health issues. You can plug and play all kinds of overwhelming, uncontrollable, unwanted, harmful thoughts and feelings in your life. Impulses, let's say. So let's say anxiety is that unwanted weed. If you go over and grab that weed and you rip it up, what do you find? The root. Proverbs says you find your heart your inner ecosystem. Proverbs, the Bible, is saying to you and me right now, just from these texts, if you read Proverbs from beginning to end, it's, it has the same major theme, and that's why we're doing this. Proverbs is saying to you and me, I know how you work. Proverbs, the Bible, God says to you, I want to explain you to you. Here it is. Here's the explanation. Here's how you work. This explains you. Proverbs says, you have a heart. That's why you do what you do. That's why we have weeds in our personal life and weeds in our relationships and weeds in our culture and weeds in our parenting and weeds in the way we relate to money, and weeds in the way we relate to sexual intimacy, weeds in how we deal with everything. It's because you have a heart. Let's look at this. Proverbs 15. So we say this. We say, let's put, yeah, Proverbs 15, 13. If we can get, there we go. We're on. Uh, You say, Why do I think the way I do? Why do I feel the way I do? Why do I do what I do? What is going on with me? And Proverbs says, you have a heart. Look at this. A glad heart makes a cheerful face. You see that? So a glad heart, a glad root produces flowers. It produces flowers, cheer in your thinking and your feeling and your desiring. So much so it even produces Flowers on your face. Now look at the other. But by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. But a broken heart, a sorrowful heart, a sad heart produces weeds in your thinking, weeds in your feelings, weeds in your experiences of life, weeds in your relationships. It even impacts your face. You say, why do I do what I do? Why why this sin? Why this shame? Why can't I keep my mouth shut? Proverbs says, because you have a heart. Let's look at uh, 24.10. Ah, there we go. If you faint in the day of adversity. In other words, the day of adversity comes and you need to do something. Because the day of adversity is a call to action, right? It's do something. Love, serve. Resolve the conflict. Work hard at the relationship. Whatever it is, go to work. Do something. If you faint, if you don't, do. In the day of adversity, your strength 
the strength in your heart is small. You say, why do I do what I do? Proverbs says, because you have a heart. You say, why do I relate to others the way I do? Why am I so, why am I so needy? Why am I so controlling? Why am I so selfish? And then you look around and you look at other people and you go, why, do, why are they the way they are? Why are they so needy, so controlling, and so selfish? And Proverbs says to you, you have a heart and they have a heart. Let's look at Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control. A man without self-control is someone, a man, woman, child, is someone who has, is not in control, someone who's out of control, someone who's needy, someone who's selfish. So let's look at this. And therefore is like a city broken into and left without walls. So any heart, yours, someone else's, that doesn't have control, it's needy, it's demanding, it's over-desiring, it's selfish. And what's the result? Weeds are everywhere. It's overrun with weeds. It's broken into. Everything's passing by it. There's no security. There's nothing because everything is just need, control, and you're overwhelmed by it. You say, why can't I recover from bad things? Why, why, when bad things happen to me, it's too traumatic? I'm too bitter. I can't function. I can't, I can't forgive. I can't forget. Look at Proverbs 18.14. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, a crushed heart, who can bear? Why, 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 Proverbs says, I know why. You have a heart. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but come on. The modern world's much more complicated than that, Jeff. I mean, you're going on this ancient Bible stuff about a heart. The modern world's much more complicated. The modern world talks about bad behavior and patterns of bad behavior that are epic and deeply seated. The modern world talks about bad bodies that are so complicated in the chemical makeup. Our brains are so complicated and so unknown. We're just like getting to the tip of the iceberg and understanding the brain and the chemicals and the way everything works. And then not to mention a bad word. I mean, bad world. Look at the past three years. Look how complicated the past three years have been on all levels of the world. So it's much more complicated, Jeff, than just saying you have a heart. We're victims of these things. We're victims of patterns of bad behavior deeply ingrained in our life and fissured into our brains. We're victims of the bad chemical imbalances and syndromes and disorders and dysfunctions and impulses. We're victims of a bad world that just sweeps us away and comes at us in all different directions. We're victims. According to Proverbs, according to the Bible, and according to God, you have a heart means this. You're ultimately not a victim of anything. 
Now, please hear me. Did you hear what I just said? Ultimately, you're not a victim. Ultimately, you're not a victim. I'm not saying you're not a victim. The Bible's not saying you're not a victim. When someone sins against you, you're a victim. When world forces crush you, you're a victim. When your bodies wreck you, you're a victim. Your own sin, in one sense, you're a victim. But the Bible, God, Proverbs, ultimately says to you and me, ultimately, though, you're not. Why? Why not ultimately? Why can you be a victim, but not ultimately a victim? Because Proverbs says your heart is how you work. I want you to go to 423 Malachi. Let's look at this. Keep your heart with all all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So keep your heart. What does that mean? I mean, the word there is actually a military word, so it's guard your heart. It's literally put a sentry around your heart, protect your heart. And so how are you supposed to guard it, protect it, keep it, provide for it, you know, be attentive to it, almost like a shepherd watching your heart. You're a, you're a sentry over the shepherd, over the sheep. The sheep is your heart, and you're standing like a shepherd watching a sentry, a guard. It's almost like with all vigilance. That's another military word. So now it's almost like you're a sentry that's guarding a king. Or you're the watchman that's watching over an entire city of people you love. Or you're a parent, a mom and a dad who's watching over their child. All vigilance. Why would we do such a thing? Why are we called to do such a thing? Why is the heart so important? Why is the heart the way we work? For from it flow the springs of life. So ultimately... You can, be, you can be victimized by all kinds of things, but ultimately, ultimately, your heart is where everything flows from. Why keep your heart? For from it flow the springs of life. For from it flow the springs of your thinking and your feeling and your desiring and your experiences of life. For from it flow your doings and your relating. For from it flow your relationships. For from it flow the way you handle money and sex. For from it flow the way you deal with a bad world coming at you. For from it flow the way you handle abuse and being sinned against and being victimized. For from it flow the springs of life, your life. What's so amazing about this is that the Bible actually gets so simple that it gets incredibly helpful. Because when you live in a world that's so complicated and makes everything so complicated and everybody's saying, here's the answer and here's the problem and here's what you need to do and no, that's not what you need to do and they're right, we're wrong, this thought, this belief, this ideology, this path, this strategy, and the Bible just gets really, really simple and says, you have a heart. And from it flow all the streams of your life. 
It doesn't erase complicated things. But it tells you ultimately, ultimately, how you deal with those complicated things actually comes from the heart. And don't miss this too, and we're going to get to this in a second. Your heart is the engine of your life. And Proverbs says, God is the gasoline. Your heart runs on God. It's the only way it works. So do you see the hope in this? This is incredibly hopeful because you're not a, ultimately a helpless victim of anything. The worst things that can happen to you, you're not ultimately a helpless victim. When your hearts run on God, you work right. When our hearts, Proverbs is saying, that's what say, the whole book is basically saying, listen, when, you're, when your heart runs on God, and Proverbs calls it the fear of the Lord. When you have this fear of the Lord, your heart's running on the gasoline of God. That's what Proverbs is saying. The fear of the Lord is your heart running on God. The New Testament says you're living by faith. Keller says it's a gospel life. We say you're learning to build your messy life and relationships around Jesus and his salvation, right? So when your heart is running on God, the fear of the Lord, Proverbs says, you work right. No matter what. No matter what happens. No matter what bad stuff comes at you. No matter what bad stuff comes out of you. You work right. You relate to it right. Imagine when your heart's running on God and now you start dealing with that sin in your life. Imagine your heart running on God and now you do the hard work of a relationship. Imagine your heart running on God and you walk into a totally catastrophic situation. When adversity comes, you don't faint. Imagine your heart running on God when you're tortured and abused, a POW or a, you've been sex trafficked. Do you see the hope in this? Because if this is not true, you have no hope. There is no hope. When your heart runs on God, you are not ultimately, functionally, doctrinally, ideologically, experientially a victim to anything. Not your bad behavior, not your bad body and chemicals, and not a bad world. That's why David could say, listen, the mountains can fall into the sea. And the flood can swallow me up. And I can be surrounded by all my enemies. And I'm still okay. Abuse hurts. It should. But there's a difference between abuse hurting you and abuse condemning your very being. What's the difference? What goes on in your heart? 
In one, your heart runs on God. In the other, you're a victim. All right. Why, 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 right? Proverbs says, I know why. I'll tell you why you have a heart. And Proverbs is going to tell us, which is the last text. Remember, we just kind of went by it. And, though, here's the punchline. And that heart is impure. It's unclean. Let's go to the text. 29. Who can say I have made my heart pure? Who can say I am clean from my heart? Now, the expected answer, the self-aware answer, the sane answer is not me. So, no, I can't make my heart pure. No, I can't clean my heart. So don't miss this. Proverbs, the Bible is saying, listen, you might be able to pull up some weeds in your life and weeds in your relationships, but you can't pull up the root. Sure, you can mix some, you know, sure, you can count to 10 when you're angry. Does it work for me? Maybe it works for you. I need something else. Sure, you can learn some conflict resolution theories. You speak first. I want to understand you, then I'll speak, and you're going to understand me, right? Sure, you can do that stuff. You can pull some weeds relationally, personally, get disciplined in some areas of your life that you need it. But Proverbs is saying you can't pull up the root. You have an impure heart. That's why you have impure weeds. You have an unclean heart. That's why we have unclean weeds in our life. Man, I'm telling you, can Proverbs be more confusing? I mean, seriously. First it says, from the very beginning of the book, keep your heart with all vigilance, and from it, for from it, flow the springs of life. And then that's at the beginning of the book, 423. Did you see that? Now we're at the end of the book where it says this, uh, who can say I've made my heart pure? I am clean from sin. So in other words, there are 16 chapters, thousands and thousands of inspirational ways to get you to keep your heart. And then when you finally keep your heart, it says, ha, good luck. No, now I know why no one reads this book. Seriously. I think Proverbs is the least read book of the Bible. I know why I don't read it that much. This is exactly why I don't read it that much. So confusing. You go to one proverb, it says, answer a fool. You go to another proverb, the one right after it, don't answer a fool. I guess it takes wisdom to know when to do it, right? Proverbs should just be thankful for Leviticus. That's all I can say. <laughs> so how do you pull up the root? How do we pull up the root? This is a very serious question. How can you keep your heart in any meaningful way according to Proverbs? when it tells you you can't. How can you keep your heart? You can't. Proverbs 25, 25, and we'll end here. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Now, I was driving, and I just started thinking about far country. I didn't think about it all week. I don't know why, but I thought, why does it have to be from a far country? You know why? Because it's not from you. Because you are not going to be helped 
in your own thinking, in your own feeling, in your own experiences, in the way you relate to things, in the way you do things. You need help from a far country. So, how does Proverbs address your anxiety? How does Proverbs address your stress? How does Proverbs address your anger? How does Proverbs address your mental health issues? How does Proverbs address your depression? Good news. And it might mean some other things too in your life. But I'm talking at that ultimate level, that, that level where all the issues of your life flow from your heart. At that deepest level that defines you, at that deepest place, the engine of your life, it says, good news. You need good news. How does Proverbs address your bad behavior, the sin, the addiction, the shame, your need to be somebody, important, the inability to stop talking? Good news. Well, how does Proverbs address your relationships at home, your parenting, your kids, at school, people on your team, your sport team, the annoying teacher and professor you have to deal with for a whole semester or a whole year? How does Proverbs address that? Good news. With good news. So how does Proverbs address a bad culture, all the evil and the injustice in the world, the bad things that come at us. Good news. Proverbs gives you good news. What's the good news? What does it do first? What does good news do? Do you see it? Like a cold water to a thirsty soul. So what it does is it gives cold water to a thirsty soul. What does that do to the soul? It resurrects it. Good news has the power to rip up your roots. And good news has the power to resurrect your heart. Good news. This is so baffling because I don't think if you were to take a poll in the evangelical church today and say, how do you address your anxiety? How do you address your bad behavior? How do you address a bad culture? How do you address your relationships that we're going to say, good news? How are you going to get the root of sin out of your life? Good news? So abuse hurts. It should. But there's a difference between abuse hurting you and abuse condemning your very being. What's the difference? Good news. So on the cross, God, on the cross, God offers himself to be condemned in your place. On the cross, God is condemned. On the cross, God judges himself so that he doesn't judge you. On the cross, God condemns himself so he doesn't condemn you. On the cross, God forsakes himself so he doesn't forsake you. On the cross, God curses himself so he doesn't curse you. The blood 
on the cross is real. There is now no condemnation. Abuse hurts, but it can never condemn your very being. And that good news resurrects hearts. That good news strengthens hearts in the day of adversity. That good news brings all the issues in your heart flowing with life. I want to say this, and then I got, I got to close. I was supposed to close about 10 minutes ago. Sorry. I'm willing to say, and I'm willing to be taped, yes, there are a lot of issues that have to deal with our bodies and a lot of issues in the culture and a lot of issues of patterns that we don't even understand. But I do know this from being a pastor for 20-something years and then a campus minister for 10 and then having to live with myself, raise five kids, and do life. That that issue of condemnation of your very being is pretty much the wellspring from which most dysfunction comes from. Because deep down inside, everyone feels the condemnation of their very being. And the culture either throws gas on it, your spouse throws gas on it, you throw that gas on it with your kids. It's the way everybody lives. What if good news goes down there and says, there's no more. There's a God who offered himself on the cross to be condemned in your place, so there is no more condemnation. Streams of 